Hello, Acapella Radio. Welcome to another episode of Talk Acapella. It's a podcast for the acapella community where we examine the culture as well as the ins and outs of vocal music, along with the people who are working to shape it. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Alexander. Joining me as always is Alicia Edwards. Alicia, how are you doing today? I'm good. I feel really weird. Like, oh yeah, I'm here every time. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you feel weird? We need that energy on every show. So okay, let's be real.、Know? Most of the time, my energy it's like the bounce back from lack of sleep, and I am functioning on very Little sleep. <laughs> Somehow it's like worked out every single time, so you might just have to keep. I might just、it. have to not sleep. But, you know what? That, that my... might be a detriment to some, but you know it's working in your case. So、oh, I don't know、you. if you should change it. Well, you know, growing up, like in high school, I was such a nerd, and I slept like I got an average of like three hours of sleep every night because I'd stay up、Ooh. doing homework. But I mean, it paid off because I got into college. So <laughs> that so was nice. So clearly, you were doing something right. You know? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I've got Coke Zero here with me. It should be good. It sounds like we're good to go in that case. Yeah. How are you doing today? Just, I'm doing well. You know, it's、uh, it's one of those mornings. You know, woke up. You know, feeling good and ready for the day. So no complaints on my end. I think my anxiety from earlier this week has calmed down a little bit because you know, if if you are in the U.S., you know that there's a lot of important things going on right now. <laughs> it's a lot, lots happening. You know, and, and fortunately if, for us, we don't have to discuss much of that. Right. So, right.、But. And if you're not in the U.S., you probably also know that there's a lot of stuff. Going <laughs> I was about to say, I'm pretty. Sure, everyone around the、it's、world knows what's kinda, going on. Kind of global, <laughs> right? Well, on that note, how about we discuss, you know, some acapella stuff and、yes. some music stuff, and some stuff that's not in the U.S. <laughs> right. So I am super stoked for today's guest. We have some amazing individuals joining us for today's episode. They're coming straight out of Southeast England. They are part of a wonderful women's vocal acapella group called Chorus Sound. Joining us, we have Amy Bevington, we have Liz Franklin Kitchen, Catherine Bettison, and Ray Burks. Thank you all so much. I'm like we love having international guests on our show. It、that's, gives that's us so I... much insight. So I am so excited to learn so much about you all's group. I've been learning about you all online, but you don't learn as much until you get to speak with people directly. So for our listeners out there, can you share with us the roots and formation of Chorus Sound? So, Chorus Sound was formed two, just over two years ago in 2018. So, I'm the founder and director of Chorus Sound, and really, it's just a bunch of friends, friends who love to sing, and friends and colleagues who I've just sort of met en route on the way to other things. So, they might、okay. have been on a conducting course, or I might have known them through teaching or through choral organisations. So, yeah, we number twelve. Yeah, we've done a couple of performances. We did our inaugural performance with Wavelength. So Wavelength is an organisation that really nurtures and supports women in choral leadership. So that actually came to fruition in 2018, and that's when Chorus Sound did our inaugural performance at that event.、Uh, so that's when where、wow. we were launched, really. That is awesome, man.、Uh, I am curious because you said it's a, it's a group of friends that love to sing. Do you have an audition process? No. Oh. You know that's even more impressive to me from having watched, I think, a couple videos and, and listening to at least one of your numbers that I was on your website because that's that's pretty remarkable to me because you can't always get a group of friends together and and produce that kind of sound. So well done. That's all Amy's ear, I think. So this is all really thanks to Amy. She brought us all together. Although we don't have an audition process, she very much kind of identified the people that she thought would work. Well together and blend well together. So we've become friends. Through, you know, I knew a couple of people in the group, but we've really become friends so much through it. But it's all Amy's kind of wonderful kind of musical vision that really. 
okay. brought us nice. together. So not really auditions, but like by invitation. Yes, quite. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And we all kind of, we all sort of have vouched for one another. So we've all had kind of other friends, you know, where Amy was saying, oh, I'm looking for another soprano or I'm looking for oh, another alto. Okay. And we can kind of say, oh, well, I know this person from so-and-so. And it's kind of like a, through a verbal conversation, okay. you know, Amy will go, okay, well, you know, bring them on. I trust very, you. Very cool. So um, I'm curious because uh, a lot of times what we find when we audition like groups of people that come on the show that sometimes there's a connection before they were ever part of the group. So I'm curious, did any of the members of Chorus Sound know each other prior to joining? I think quite a few people knew each other individually. So some people had sung together before in other groups or had worked with Amy before or worked with each other before. And every person in the group in their own way is a really remarkable individual. So it's quite an interesting process of who fits into our group. So you've got really high quality people working in their own areas. So they might be an amazing teacher or a soloist or a person who trains other people singing a cappella or, or somebody who just has something very particular about them. I didn't think we really started out with that, but that's what's emerged is a, a really interesting group of very capable individuals. Uh, if I can say that without sounding like showing off. No, I love <laughs> no, it. I love it. No, it sounds great because I'm up here to envision. I'm just like, okay, now we got the super group form and every, all the superheroes from these, they're different areas came together. I love it. That's perfect. I think that's fair. I don't like to count myself in that necessarily, but I look around at my colleagues and I go, wow, you're so amazing at that. And you're really skilled at that. How do you get those notes? And, uh, and each I person has something really interesting to give. I am curious because I did notice something on your website and it says... Comprising of a blend of professionally trained and high-level amateur voices, we each have our own story to tell. So I'm curious as to the makeup of the group. How many of your singers are professionally trained versus high-level amateur voices? And I'm wondering if that group makeup affects your approach to what songs you're going to sing as far as like blend goes. Yeah, I would say, ooh, what would you say, girls? The percentage is, it's something like... 70-30 or 80-20 maybe yeah. of professional musicians okay. and those who aren't. It's probably that kind of mix. Yeah, and we do definitely each have our own story to tell in such a big way. And I think that's the beauty of the group. And when we get together, I mean, it's easier in COVID times because we've all got masks on, so everyone talks a lot less. <laughs> um, but ordinarily, it's almost impossible to get anything done because everybody is so keen to connect and to share, you know? So, yeah. Amy, I was just about to talk about how professional our rehearsals were. <laughs> You well, sorry, were, you just about to, were you just about to uh, interrupt Amy to tell her how professional we are? <laughs> yeah. I love it. So I, I do like to work them hard, but it, sometimes it's a bit tricky. Yeah, because yeah, you, you, you can't help but to have fun around people. Yeah. Around a close group of friends. Yeah, but I think I, I, think, love, I love that. I was going to say the stars and the genres that everyone brings to the table is so diverse. So, you know, Liz has had an amazing solo opera career and she's been all wow. over the world you know I mean that is just incredible and then Linda Ben uh, also sings with us she's an, uh, a fabulous opera singer as well uh, Sarah she's been in that world and has sung leader and oh 
just divine voice. Everyone has an amazing voice, but they, they just bring something different to the table. And then we've got Anna, who's always been in the folk world, and she's so well known. She's just the most amazing folk singer. So yeah, I just feel like a kid in a sweet shop when everyone comes together and everyone's got their own style, their own vibe, their own sound, their own quality. Yeah. But then, you know, we have people like Cindy, for example, who've always sung. She's always sung in her family. She's always sung in choirs. She's done so much music making and yet she's not a professional musician. So, you know, she doesn't sort of move in those circles. So she's she's very different. And yet she is a brilliant fit with the group. Absolutely fantastic. I would much more closely identify with her. <laughs> she, she's an eco-warrior as well. So, you know, reducing okay. plastic and waste. And mm-hmm. so, okay. yeah, she's a big advocate for that. Very cool. Yeah. I mean, so I don't know about you, Brian, oh. but I'm like feeling jealous and slightly unworthy. I'm like, I'm so envious right now. Just listen. I'm like, okay, I'm not qualified at all to even be in this conversation here uh, based off what I'm hearing. But I, I'm so curious just because we're talking about you know, the formation of the group and just the the makeup and the structure and everything. And I wonder if we can touch just a little bit more on, you know, maybe the journey of the members of the group, because on your website, you have this wonderful blog entry. It's called COVID-19, Why We Need to Sing Our Way Through This. And I found this article extremely fascinating because it's just so aligned with, with so much of what musicians are probably feeling right now because of this entire year, you know, 2020, the pandemic, everything. And specifically, there's a line in it that resonated with me. It says, during busy times, and particularly when worries set in, the voice can be a powerful therapy. And I'm wondering if this idea of therapy, or maybe even, you know, this idea of an escape from other endeavors in your life, was that the cause for any of you joining Core Sound at all? I know that you all are kind of invited. And, you know, Amy did a wonderful job of placing you all together. But just in terms of your own particular reasons for coming to Core Sound, did that play a role at all? I was just going to say that maybe in a more general way, when Amy talks about us all having our own stories, I think all of us love singing, but all of us really needed to be in Coruscant. We'd all had very different personal experiences that had kind of led us in and out of the music industry. And this was a space where not just we shared music, but we really shared who we were and and what our lives had made us. And so the, the journey of us as people and the stories of who we are and the stories, I think, really of us as women from lots of different backgrounds, that informs the way that we perform. And it's so, it's been so important to me. It's been really important to Liz, I know, and I'm going to pass over to her now. Oh, my goodness. Okay, well, without going into like overly too much detail, so I mentioned earlier that, well, we were talking about stage names, and although I came originally from the world of choral singing, and my dad was a church organist, and so I sang in his church choir, and I went through kind of professional choral singing, BBC singers, and all sorts of professional groups in the UK. And then my voice grew and became much more operatic, and so I ended up becoming this kind of huge Wagnerian soprano performing at the Royal Opera House and Carnegie Hall and all sorts of amazing places. It was really, really cool. And then without going into overly too much detail, because it's a whole other show, I experienced (laughs) a a trauma and I lost the ability to sing or I lost the ability to sing opera and I could barely like hold a note. And so kind of through that, you know, we talk about singing and, and Ray was sort of touching on how, you know, we all have a need to sing and Coruscant has really brought this amazing eclectic mix of people together that the ability to sing also ties in with your identity. When you're a professional singer, you know, it really ties in with, well, who you are. And so if you can't sing anymore, it's kind of, well, who am I? 
you know, you don't have an identity anymore, or so you think. And so I had to spend a lot of time in the wilderness kind of rebuilding my identity from the ground up. And I met Amy in 2018, I think it was. Yeah. So Amy was running a, a choral conducting course. So I was retraining as a choral conductor because I thought this is my first love. You know, choral music is in my blood. It's in my bones. And so then Amy told me that she was putting this group together. And the entire time that we've been together, I've always been kind of like, should I be in the group? Should I not be in the group? I can't really sing. I can only kind of sing a few alto notes. You know, am I really contributing to the group? But I realised that, uh, you know, through Coruscant and through Amy, and I by no means mean to exaggerate this, the love in the group, and you'll get some nods and you might get some tears. <laughs> the love that we have for each other in the group just is so binding. And I think that really transcends whatever abilities we individually have as singers. And I think that creates that blend, Alicia, you were talking earlier about, well, how do you blend? Somehow, we managed to get this amazing sound and this amazing blend that you won't get in any kind of other, certainly not UK choir. You know, when you think about choral music in the UK and you think about a cappella, you think about Oxford and Cambridge choirs, you know, with that very clean, polished sound. We don't have that. And I think that's a deliberate thing that, you know, we are such an individual and unique group that, yeah. But your, your sound and blend is very good. It works. And we don't I don't, know, I don't want don't anyone, why. any of our <laughs> listeners to think, to think otherwise, if they haven't listened to any of your stuff. Yeah, but that's, yeah so that's kind of the... The end of my story, I guess. Yeah, Thank I you. think if you link it to some of the the other journeys for some of the other singers, I think there are probably a number of people in the choir who have that. Here is what I do in my everyday job, my everyday life. Am I able to still do something that's for me? So I'm I'm a teacher. I work in a in a big school. I spend all hours of the day and night of the week. It seems like working on that. And then periodically we have a rehearsal, and you can go out of your normal existence, and you can go off and connect in a different way with another group of people. And I think Liz and Ray and the other singers would probably all feel that sense of uh, stepping into a different environment and a different part of yourself, which is really important. Otherwise, you can really get bogged down in your everyday business and you can forget to give time for that creative ensemble and collaboration that you get only really from singing together in the same place as each other. Yeah. And I just want to say thank you all so much for sharing. And Liz, that story is powerful. I'm like, I can't even begin to relate to any of the experiences that you like went through personally for yourself. But I can say that there was a, a good point of time where I think for about two or three years after I, I left the, the place I was living before I am now located in Texas, like I went for like a two year stretch where there was like no music making for me. And I could attest that there was something missing. And I think we've, I'm like, every musician can relate to that when it's not in your life. It just feels like a piece of you is just gone in a way. And so just what you just said, right. And sharing is just so powerful. And I, th I thank you for that. Cause I, like I said, I think we all have that point in our journey that we might experience something to that effect. So, not yeah. to make light of any any situation here, but Brian, I've always told you, you should move back to Utah. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. One, one day, possibly. you know, And then you can come Texas. sing with me. <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, well good. fortunately for us, we can sing virtually together. So that yes, works. Yes, we can. And so, and with all of that, with your individual journeys that you're sharing, I think I'm beginning to learn a little bit more about Chorus Sound, but now I, I just want to put it all out there. So we know that acapella can encompass like a wide range of styles and makeups, you know, and specifically you all mentioned choral and we have all the way to contemporary even to groups i know groups that sing like disney covers that's what their thing is they prefer to do that so how would you classify core sounds identity or style oh this is a tricky one i think we're quite diverse in what we sing i would say it has more of a choral sort of overview umbrella to it as opposed to you know straight jazz or straight acapella sort of pop jazz acapella i don't think we're all that good at it 
I think we we need to work on that that side of things. But Claire, you see, Claire Wheeler is amazing, obviously, because of her her role in Swingles and her experience with them. So at the moment, we're working on one of her arrangements, and she's actually leading that. And that's the other beauty about this group is that I can pass over to almost anyone in the group and say, you you lead this. I'm going to sing. You conduct, which is brilliant. You know, that's that's the other fabulous thing about the group so claire's been doing in the bleak midwinter and it's really really rhythmic and tight and so we need to work hard on that because it doesn't come naturally to us but i would say we're singing repertoire from all over the world we've got some new repertoire from canada we're singing as you know mostly music by female composers so yeah music written for and by women so we've got some eleanor daly but we've also got some don mcdonald from canada we have been singing some repertoire published by Sulasol, Anna-Marie Kehera, I don't know how you pronounce it, but we've been singing By the Light of the Moon, which is a fantastic Scandinavian piece. Sylvie, of course, which has its roots in uh, spiritual. Yeah, so there's, there's a lot of repertoire. I've done some African stuff, some Finnish stuff, a lot of English repertoire as well. We're doing, I've got some books here. So Silent Night, this is by Vinnie Bruckner. So she's done some amazing arrangements in there, some Christmas arrangements. P, As You Sing, we've done some Sarah Cortell as well from Canada. And Emma Johnson, the world famous clarinetist who's on the back ah. there. She, obviously, you know, people listening will not be able to see what we... <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, she's written four songs of celebration. So we just, I try and bring as much different repertoire to the group as possible so that we're, we're highlighting female composers and we're just trying as much different diverse repertoire as we possibly can because that's the beauty of the group, I think. I think one thing, when I was, when I was a solo um, singer, one thing that people always try tried to get me to do was to put myself into a category and that's you know that's what makes you marketable that's what makes you sellable and all of those kinds of things and that's what people who are the in, in the industry who are the money people in the industry want you to do and so although it's in some ways it's not that helpful that we don't have the you know we don't have a, like a sound bite of what our sound is I think in a way it's like a deliberate thing because yeah. mm-hmm. we do what we want to do on a particular day and so in a way this is something that is very much it's for us and actually we put things together sometimes in concerts that y- you wouldn't normally put together mm-hmm. and it's never failed us yet fingers you know <laughs> fingers crossed but we've had lots and lots of people come up to us at the end of concerts and say oh that's that's amazing that you 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 went from this style to this style and you did them both quite authentically and for me that is what I always wanted when I was a solo artist and I just felt like I was never allowed to do that and in Chorus Sound I'm allowed to do that and it that's just the most joyful fun thing about us so is our like not having a sound is our sound that is the <laughs> sound that's, that's our thing that is the sound bite right there what Major said <laughs> authenticity is what that's what we're about and you know Amy puts yeah. us together and you know we have these on ensemble pieces that we do we do a lot of pieces all 12 of us together that's great and that all works and then Amy chooses repertoire that will suit those three voices that blend particularly well or those five voices okay, that particularly okay. well blend and if there's a piece where my voice just ain't gonna fit in anywhere she'll, she'll get me to narrate <laughs> something or because <laughs> I also work as a narrator so okay very yeah, cool so we, we, we did a piece at our last concert in March just before the lockdown oh. where uh, we had to cut down a piece that was 20-30 minutes long and we just did an excerpt of it we did 
where we did the last 10 minutes of it. And so we devised a method by which I could narrate the opening bits of text that still took about 10 minutes to recite, you know. And so we just kind of come at the repertoire. We don't fit, we're not a choral shape. We are the exact sum of all of our parts, or we're more than the sum of our parts, but we each bring a shape to the group and we shape the group because of who we are as individuals. And exactly as Ray said, that's what brings the most authentic sound to the group. And I think that's what makes us stick out individually. Yeah. And I love that you just said that, Liz. It seems like the group, especially when Amy was going through the, the different catalog and everything that you all are focused on, there's a lot of influence. But at the same time, you're all so authentic and there's so much of you that just can't even be expressed by just one piece. And I, I love that. Unfortunately, on that note, we do have to take a quick commercial break, but don't go anywhere because this has been an amazing conversation with Chorus Sound. We're going to come back and continue speaking with them right here on Tacapella. Are you an aspiring sound engineer? Have we got a show for you? The Headroom Podcast is a podcast for aspiring sound engineers in the contemporary acapella genre. Join Kyle Howard and Ricky Jubaran as they break down the different stages of audio production and chat with other producers about their techniques to achieving the best sound. You can find the Headroom Podcast on Acaville Radio Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Remember, Acaville is the place where you can find all the latest in acapella information. And welcome back to Tolcapella. That's right. We are back here with four of the lovely women from Chorus Sound in Southeast England. We have Amy, Rachel, Liz, and Catherine. And as we were talking in the first segment, we kind of ended on a little bit about Chorus Sound's sound and how they blend and what kind of music they do and what kind of focus they have. And Amy, you mentioned that it's not any particular genre really that you're focusing on, but the group seems to be very versatile and you focus on performing works of female composers, which which often includes lesser known artists. So I, I am curious as to why you have chosen that really as the group's focus. Because I think female composers just need to have the spotlight shone on them. We, we need to redress this imbalance. I lead a chamber choir in a girls' school. And just a few weeks ago in one of our rehearsals, I asked them all individually to list a female composer, to name a female composer. Oh. And they were unable to do so. Oh, that is so sad. And I, you know, it's just a case in point, isn't it? We just need to value our female composers. We really need to encourage them to write. It's the same as female conductors as well. We need parity. We need to redress the balance. In my view, we need to. Amen. Um, Amen. You know, women can write, women can conduct women can do all these things we just need to value it and promote it and encourage women to step forward and encourage publication of many more works written by women and it is happening uh, multitude of voices published by Stainman Bell have released sacred music written by women from across the centuries everything from Hildegard from Bingen all the way up to a piece by myself and many of my female colleagues who've written sacred music and they've done three anthologies now and they're coming over to the states so when you see these publications you'll know what i'm talking about but it's been a real (laughs) yeah it's been a real labor of love for the the women who have crafted and and edited and brought these anthologies together and cara sound are really on a mission to promote these works i don't know if rachel catherine or liz have anything they want to add to that i think just being in the music industry and being in any industry so much of what we're doing is is not authored by women and we don't want to ignore all the wonderful things that are being written by men that's not it but 
it's just just kind of claiming a little bit of something back and getting some lesser known people out into the spotlight and just yeah as Amy said just literally redressing that balance because the music that we are performing I think is amazing and I just want more people to hear it Amy goes and researches these amazing pieces and I'm like why didn't why hadn't I heard of that person before why hadn't I heard of these wonderful writers of music and so if we can sing and and get them out there then that's I think a wonderful thing to do and you're right Ray it's not that we overlook male composers you know we're singing pieces by men as well and that's absolutely fine sometimes we're singing pieces by men that have texts written by women so okay. we've we've done a couple of Christina Rossetti texts mm-hmm. for example so the Ruth Gipps with the the RPO and also Sean Doherty who's an Irish young Irish composer who is absolutely fantastic so it's about text and message and meaning and communicating that just as much as it is about female composers as well I think it's important as well. I work in education. So the youngest children I work with at the moment are seven. And when you're seven, you don't have any prejudices about this sort of thing. When you're seven, you think you can do anything. And then you wonder why between the ages of seven up to 18, that that stops being the case for some of the children who think, well, I couldn't possibly do that. And I think it's there's a subliminal lack of role models that girls say, oh, look, that person doing that, I'd like to be that when I grow up. I'd like to do that. I'd like to compose this. I'd like to do that. And it's not just in the musical field, of course. But I think if we have more role models of performers and composers and conductors that show little girls that this is just as viable to you as it might be to anybody else. I think that's a really positive message. And the world's more ready for yeah, that. And, and that kind of leads into my next question, because it sounds like, you know, one of the challenges here is just the visibility of, you know, female composers and people being aware of how much there might be out there. And I'm curious, what are some of the other challenges that might come with, you know, trying to present this type of this music or maybe even the the finding of the type of music? What, what are some challenges that you all have experienced as you've set out? on this journey to present the music that you're doing? I think there's quite a lot of music that's out there that is unpublished. So then finding it is difficult. When it is published and when it's become available in the public domain and it's available to purchase and to buy, whether it's in an anthology or whether it's just a separate piece, then you know about it. You know, it's easier to find out about it. Whereas there is a lot of music that has been written by women, especially in the folk scene and the community scene as well, that is unpublished. So it's just, it's finding that. It's finding the right message and the right voice and the right maybe quality of music for us. That I suppose that's the difficulty. In terms of the quality? Is it just the the number of voices or just maybe the particular, the genres maybe? Or could you elaborate that on that a little bit more? I think we have quite a capacity to sing in up to, well, up to 12 parts, but six parts, you know, we can can sing in quite easily. So there might be quite a lot of music written in two parts that we could sing, but perhaps those challenges aren't really quite in our area. So, you know, Mm -hmm. it needs, it needs to be good quality. It needs to be, I think, deep enough to warrant us looking deeper into the music itself and having the time to really uncover it and explore it and work hard on the detail within the music. So, yeah, something that's that's in four, five and six parts, for example, is going to mm-hmm. keep us occupied longer <laughs> and give us, give us more of a challenge. Yeah, we've definitely got the capacity within the group to really relish those challenges. Yeah, and also with what Amy's saying there about looking at female composers or music written by men, but with texts by women, you know, we don't just perform it just because it's written by women. You know, we have looked at repertoire and we've sort of rehearsed it a few times and then we've gone, we're not really digging this. And, and we have like vetoed it at quite a short notice, haven't we? <laughs> we're just like, 
is anyone enjoying this? Oh, I'm not really enjoying it. Okay, let's move on. You know, <laughs> that's so true. You know, I, I feel like we can all probably relate. Mm. And the other thing about music like for upper voices feeling. is that you find a lot of music written for children's and youth choirs. Mm. And we're not either of those. Right, right. We can get away yeah. with singing some stuff for youth choirs. That's okay. But yeah, it needs to be meaty enough, actually. You know, we come with experience. We come with baggage. We come with knowledge. We come with with so much that, yeah, it needs to say something and it needs to be really written for women with women in mind. I find that interesting because a lot of times when in past groups I've been a part of or just exploring music online, I run into that same challenge. You find a, a music that's not up to par with what you're looking for. And as you, you mentioned, it's written for maybe, I don't make sure I want to say this correct, but like lower level type groups, maybe groups that aren't as advanced as where you're currently at. And you often... Well, it's just the difficulty level is not, I don't think it's it's necessarily that they're written for lower level groups. I often find that in order to really get that, you have to commission someone to write specifically for what you're looking for. So I can only imagine the hurdles that you all are experiencing as you're exploring, you know, the vastness of different genres that you're going through. And then add on top of that, the number of voices. So that's got to be even more challenging. I think it's really important that exactly as Amy said, that we're picking themes and what Ray said, sorry, we're picking themes that are relevant to women and to women of our age group. We're no longer in the first flush of youth, you know, so we have had these experiences and we've performed a piece a couple of times that was written in response to the Me Too movement, you know, so and that piece particularly, you know, we get the audience up on their feet and they're clapping along and it's just like, yeah, absolutely. I nearly, I nearly, I nearly swore there, but I didn't. But, you know, it's just like, and I think that's something that Ray said earlier on about how we connect with our audiences because we have this ability to be authentic performers. And I think this is going to be my soundbite at the end, that that's how we're connecting with our audience because they're just going, you know, these these aren't girls. These aren't just young women talking, singing about sewing and knitting and garlands and things. You know, we do have a few of those things, but we are actually singing about real issues and contemporary issues. I think that's what makes us stand out. Yeah. Did you ever notice that there are so many pop singers at the moment who have babies and yet they that's never true. get to oh, yeah. release a song about their baby? They mm-hmm. just don't get to that's it. True. That they, is they're true. still writing about like, oh, my first love. Like, well, no. <laughs> No, you got married, you had a kid. That's kind of important. Share that experience in your music, you know, and other stuff like political stuff. We can show that. We can show our lives through our music. It doesn't have to be banal. I'm just going to no, I, I think that's a, a great point. I think, you know, so much of what's being done, at least, um, you know, you look at the music industry and stuff, it's all being done for the sake of, you know, the music industry. It's not real world, as you're saying. It's not relevant to what people are currently facing. And, you know, at the, I'm like, this year alone, I'm very curious to see what kind of music is going to be produced, you know, at the beginning of next year. So is anyone going to take advantage of the perils and the struggles that 2020 brought up upon all of us? So I think there's going to be some amazing music written and some incredible poetry and artwork. I really do. I'm sure lockdown will have brought some kind of inspiration to to those people. Yeah, I agree. It comes through hardship, doesn't it? And, you know, dark times. So, Amy, you were talking earlier about how when you're looking for numbers for high voices, you often find like youth choir stuff or stuff that's written for children. I'm curious as to how low the range of the current makeup in the group goes. Yeah. Well, so some of the repertoire that I'm throwing at the girls goes down as low as a D. Okay. Like a D2 or D3? Someone help me out. I always forget. Catherine. I think it's D2. It's, a, it's, a, it's, the, like, it's the one like below middle C. Below middle, yeah, C. Below middle C. Whatever <laughs> number that is. Wow. Yeah. I know Anna can definitely get those and I know Claire can get those and I know Liz, when she's with us, can get those. <laughs> 
But, you know, it depends who we've got in the mix. It depends who's there at the rehearsal, who yeah. can make the, the concert. So everything is quite fluid. And, uh-huh. you know, if, if you're going to be singing something Eastern European that requires something very hard hitting down there, then no, we haven't got those voices. And it wouldn't be fair uh-huh. to ask those voices to sing in that style down there so yeah it's about knowing the voices and the capabilities and and sometimes we just put stuff up a minor third so i think we sang wanting memories by Issei Barnwell and we had a copy in C or something and then we all decided that we shunt our copies up to E flat <laughs> and sing it in that key instead because we had that repetitive dung dung so yeah and singing that on a low C was just not going to happen the reason I asked is because and Brian, and Brian knows this when I did collegiate acapella I was in an all female group and I was the bass so I, I can get down there to that C pretty consistently but any lower than that it has to be first thing in the morning for me or I've lost it. So that was really just for curiosity's sake. So, I mean, Brian mentioned, you talked about this a little bit, Amy, the craziness that is 2020 and what kind of music and creativity we're going to see come out of that. So in regards to 2020, Chorus Sound, like many other groups, has had you had to adjust and alter your plans and the way you function as a result of the pandemic, largely putting a pause on rehearsals from March until the end of September. And now you're in lockdown again. I'm curious as to how you managed that extended break and if you all were individually practicing music at the time or collaborating in some other way. So I'm going to answer that with two words, with difficulty. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm i a bit of a technophobe. So I've led rehearsals online and I've led training courses online and I'm getting much more used to all of that now. So that's good. But I was a little bit afraid in the early days and I was, I'm sure the girls will corroborate this, quite stressed. <laughs> with basically all of the rehearsals that we did because I wanted them to be as good as they might have been live. And of course, you can't replicate that. It's just impossible. But yeah, I wanted people, I wanted it to be worth people's time and I wanted it to be worth people tuning in and and turning up, you know, and asking their husbands to put the kids to bed so that they could be there. It needs to be worthwhile and valuable. So yeah, we did, I can't remember how many rehearsals, but we did probably six or seven hours on, you know, separate weeks. And we went through pieces and we you know I allocated voice parts to new repertoire that we hadn't yet looked at we listened to recordings we sang along I recorded some stuff on the piano and people sang against the clarinet part for example so of the pieces that we were going to do by Emma Johnson we had the clarinet part and then we sang our piece our line along to that so there were lots of different ways in to rehearsing yeah so I I don't know whether it was useful or not but we have had two rehearsals in September and October so really trying to get back in the saddle but it has been difficult I know that Ray has some hearing issues and just wearing a mask and singing at the same time socially distanced you know it's really really difficult everybody's got their own story their own background situation you know lots of people are working in schools some are working in schools without having to wear masks others are having to wear masks or visors everybody is in a different situation everyone has different health their partners and parents and children they have different health issues as well we're all in the same boat so our live rehearsals they did happen and we did get through a lot of music but I think it was in a very 
altered way, you know, a very different mm -hmm. way. Normally right. with us, it's about tea and cake, hugs, chatting, you know, very active, social mingling creatures mm -hmm. that we are. So yeah, it's been, it's been difficult. And now this second lockdown. Right. So when you reconvene for those rehearsals, however short-lived that was, thank you, COVID, are there any practices or ways that you've operate that have, were caused by the pandemic that you can see yourselves carrying into the future, maybe when we're past this? I think meetings and discussing things and actually getting the nitty gritty organized could mm -hmm. much easily be done on Zoom, where mm -hmm. we just put our heads together and, you know, we talk about planning for a concert, for example, mm -hmm. uh, deciding on how we're going to refine the repertoire. And that that's very much done by the group as a whole. When we've talked about designing the website or which logo we should use and things like that, it's a very collaborative experience. It's not just me going, we're doing that, end of. I'm not a dictator in any way. <laughs> it's very soft leadership over here. So, yeah. I think people have some will have some really interesting readjustments to do. So I think we're going to have a lot of difficulty with starting to stand closer to people. So I think everybody has a defined area of personal space anyway. And we've been that forced, bubble's getting bigger. <laughs> we've been forced to enlarge that. Mm. And I don't especially like being sandwiched in the middle of a, a row, sort of surrounded on all sides by other singers. I quite like being on the end or having an exit route if I need one. <laughs> I think people will take a while to feel like they want to have their personal space re-encroached upon. So I wonder if we will find ourselves being more confident to be in our own space and that could really help Cora Sound because it would emphasise that sort of sense of individuality that we do have to say actually here we are singing as a group but actually we're all individuals as well and I think that confidence to stand a bit further away from somebody and still blend and still listen and still work together could could be quite Yeah you made me realise I, I don't at all miss the my younger choral days when I had to be shoulder to shoulder with the tenors and basses and you know the 30 other people <laughs> now that I'm hearing it out loud. So that just made me think of that. And I, I'm so curious because you all have been able to experiment with this, whereas I haven't, I don't think Alicia has, but just that attempt at blending when you're back together now that everyone's had to be social distance and, you know, wearing masks and things like that. Is that blending? Is that challenging? What do you expect from that? Yeah, it's very difficult, isn't it, Ray? Because, you know, what you, what you hear with your own mask on is very different to what the conductor hears, to what the people either side of you are hearing. You you're not sure how loud you are. So many things. Ray, have you got more things to share? Oh, just, I mean, if, if anybody is listening to this and is in a position to start live rehearsals, use a mask, don't use a visor, because the people that in our group used visors, it's like a reverberant oh. wall. And apparently all your sound just comes right, right back mm -hmm. at you. I think singers' masks, we, you know, we've all had you know, different shapes of masks and things. I think singers' masks allow you a little bit more space. Mm. What, what do you mean? by a singer's mask? Well, actually, I think the, the design of one that we've got a couple of is from the US. Um, okay. I have a wonderful friend who's from the US and she got a, a design and has been making some and it's got a kind of band across the front and then and material underneath and material on the top with a kind of fixed nose part uh -huh. mm -hmm. so that you can drop your jaw so you can get, give more space. Oh, um, okay. You don't suck in when you take yeah. a breath because it's it's actually much further away from your okay. from your mouth what i really hope though is that this conversation becomes really irrelevant i don't really oh, yeah. want to spend the rest of my next of my singing career thinking about right. how not to suck in fabric through a mask i really <laughs> i'm just like desperate for us to be able to to sing again and to mm -hmm. hear the natural because i think 
it alters the sound however much we try and avoid it i think right. that if you're if you're going back into a singing situation it's maybe to realize that things that you have in front of your mouth are going to change that sound a little bit and so you well, have and to kind of deal a, with your perception of it don't you right and there's a sensory element with that i feel as yeah, well definitely. you're not going to be able to focus so much on hearing what the other voices are singing when you have this fabric on your face and on top of that i, I think so much of music is feel as well as instinct at the same time and and I think as we're try- incorporating all these other elements, social distancing, mass, things like that, we're focused so much on, OK, how do I adjust to this? And we're at the same time, we've lost a little bit of that uniqueness on, OK, your body's so used to doing it a certain way. It's been doing it for your entire life. I've been performing this way and I know with my body how it connects to music. And now I'm kind of removing an element of that in a sense. So I, I definitely I get where I get what all of you are saying. For me, when I'm rehearsing with the group that I'm in for blending, we want and like lighting things up, we watch each other's mouths. And if you've got that fabric there, you just can't see that. You you don't know like where those consonants are falling necessarily, at least not precisely. I, I would love, love, love to keep chatting because this has been such a fun, engaging conversation. But unfortunately, it is time for us to take a commercial break. But don't go anywhere because we will be right back with Amy, Rachel, Liz, and Catherine here on Tacapella. You may not know this, but Acaville is a nonprofit. We're a community-supported organization, and the way we keep our lights on and keep the music spinning is largely through memberships and contributions. So I encourage you to be a member of Acaville. Not only will you support everything that we're doing and supporting the community and bringing great music and features to you, but there are some pretty killer member benefits out there as well. Head on over to Acaville.org, check out the member benefits because we'd love to have you as a member of the Acaville community. Thanks for joining us back on our final segment today on Tacapella. We have been here with Amy, Rachel, Liz, and Catherine from Cora Sound in Southeast England, and it has been a treat. So if you are just now tuning in, I encourage you to go back and listen to the full episode because you will not regret it. And now it's time for us to start with one of our traditions here on Tacapella, and we're going to have a little bit of fun here with a round of rapid fire questions. So I want to say ladies, but I feel like that could sound a little bit creepy. So my question to our lovely guests, are you ready? Absolutely. (laughs) No one said no, which we've had the last few times. Brian, you ready to go? I am ready. All right. What is one location in Southeast England that visitors must check out? (laughs) Go (laughs) for Me. What? We have a castle. I'm in. Okay. I'm in. We have the ruins. That's of, we have the ruins right of a castle. Right. Excellent. But Southeast England, you know, contains mm. London. So I mean, oh, know, don't go there. That's an awful lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> like hundreds of it. museums, and you know, all the the Windsor Great and- Forest. Andlers. Andlers. Oh, Windsor Castle. Yeah. Of- oh, yeah. And. <laughs> I live just next to the Surrey Hills, okay. which are absolutely gorgeous. Oh, yeah. And uh, Surrey, the leafiest and greenest county in England. So if you like trees and nature, there's lots and lots of that. Uh, they're all turning and changing colours at the moment. And if you go just up the hill from where we live, we're onto the, the Surrey Hills there, the, the South Downs and the North Downs way near to here. Oh, that and you perfect. can see even across to the coast. I'm going to visit now. Yeah, all those places. Thank you. You're very welcome. <laughs> Once you know, the <laughs> pandemic is over. <laughs> All right. Question two. What is your favorite non-music related activity? Currently rowing. (laughs) Rowing. Wow. Okay. Her rowing. What else? Running. Rowing. I like to swim. Oh. Okay. Okay. I don't have anything. I do coaching. That's kind of my thing. That's cool though. I like that. I like that. All right. Oh, 
hostage. I'll take hostage. Okay, nice. That's a good, that's yeah. a good one. Favorite life. My dog. I like oh, walking sorry, my sorry. dog. Did you hear that? Should I say that say? again? Yes. Yeah. I like walking my dog. Good. Oh, that's a good one. That is a good one. You can't go wrong there. So rowing and walking your dog. It was rowing, right? Did I did mm-hmm. I hear that right? Okay. Okay, perfect. All right. Question number three. What is the, your favorite live performance you've ever been to? Oh, I went to a 50th anniversary concert of Jimi Hendrix's Whoa. album at yeah, Bristol Jazz Festival a few years Very. ago. And it was a put together band by former editors of Guitarist Magazine. And for me, it would be uh, Kay Tempest, who is an absolutely amazing poet who performs with it in a, in a musical kind of context. So an amazing kind of narrative stuff with just a brilliant band. So that would be for me really absolutely out. Go on, Catherine. I would choose a, a type of concert. I, I, I love a carol service, a carol service in the cathedral with candles and you have the, the space, the reflective time. And, and sometimes when you're a singer, you're, you're often in it, busily thinking, working, concentrating. But when you can go and listen to somebody else's, that's a high quality occasion, you can enjoy the sublimity of the music in the, in the space, the, the ability to just, to just be in the atmosphere as well as the music. So that kind of cathedral, uh, big space, I think gives you a serenity that you don't get in many other places. Awesome, thank you. I think for me, Michael Barrett conducting University of Pretoria Choir in Barcelona at the World Choral Symposium. It was just wow. mind-blowing. And I, you know when music makes you just sob mm-hmm. because your whole mm-hmm. body just can't stop convulsing? It's just the sound and where you are and the spontaneity of mm-hmm. the performance. Yeah. So I think that for me, and also Tenebrae singing anything anywhere is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> particularly Joby Talbot's Path of Miracles, which whoa, was amazing. I, I quite, I quite like a bit of the John Wilson Orchestra as well. If you see them, if you see them in the Albert Hall in London, and if you sit behind the orchestra, so you can both see what's going on and you can see amazing John Wilson conducting. He does a lot of semi-stage things where you have singing and dancing, and you can see and you feel like you're right in the middle of it all. That that's very thrilling. Awesome. Thank you. Well, okay. So on the opposite end of that, what's your favorite live performance you've ever participated in? For me, it was Carnegie Hall, Beethoven, Mrs. Solemnis with John Elliott Gardner and the Monteverdi Choir and Orchestra in 2012. I jumped in for somebody at the last minute. Got a tour that included Carnegie Hall. I can't top that. That should have gone at the end. What about the rest of you? Too many. I always really really enjoyed. We we did a a series of performances and I was singing in the choir for Handel's Dixit Dominus, which is really, really, really hard to sing, but so thrilling when you get it right. And he is just very, (laughs) very expressive as a conductor. And I remember remember doing that one and I was expecting my daughter and so it's quite hard work to do the breath control and everything but it was oh, amazing no. and she completely loved it and she was leaping around the whole time and then now she she still says it's one of her favorite pieces and she swears she already knew it but i don't know if that's true or whether she's just making it up but it's nice either way that's amazing i think for me oh my goodness actually definitely not one of the biggest performances i've ever done but probably my favorite ever was in a i, I did a, a weird little tour a few years ago where i sang for my supper I, I traveled all over Europe and I and I performed and people invited me and I ended up performing in a, a 
castle in the Gere in France at this this amazing festival of French and Spanish music. And, and it was just this really, really wonderful experience of like-minded musicians and, and seeing different music and at kind of really wonderful grassroots level. And then in this really wonderful old medieval castle. And it was very special. Cool. I think mm-hmm. my highlight was probably competing in Choir of the Year at the Royal Albert Hall and being in part of a quite a small chamber choir, about 26, 28 voices, on the stage at the Royal Albert Hall. And it was packed. It was amazing. And we won. This was back in 2000. And it was very exciting. But there was one very, very exposed moment where I had to just come in on a C sharp, like all by myself. Ah! In the Royal Albert <laughs> Hall. Little old me. Um, yeah, that was, it was scary, but it was great. It was great because it was just That's such awesome. a celebration of choral music. And actually, I think the competition is still happening, but it's, it's not what it was. So yeah, it was, that was a nice experience. All right, next question. So what's one hobby or activity you picked up in 2020? Cross-stitch for me. I mentioned it earlier. Yeah, I went at it like a demon, but I I have ADHD. So I kind of like, I pick up a thing and I just like go at it for three months and then I'm done. My, this is not something I've done. So this is not, but I've benefited from. My husband got really into sourdough and baking and, and it's continued. He's been back at work, but... He still bakes two loaves a week. So I've really enjoyed that hobby, wow. even though I've done nothing. I'm just going to say rowing again. That's that's my thing. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I had to learn how to deal with homeschooling, which was really unpleasant. Mm. So as a teacher, you think as a teacher, you've accumulated a great deal of skill and quality and experience over your career, which is fine and true until you try and apply it to your own family. And then you realize that none of it works when it's your own child. So I found that really difficult to thinking when I at school and I do this people are respectful and kind and everything else but it's a very different situation with your family so I have been glad that schools have reopened and we have to be back in school however hard it is uh, because it's much better for her she's learned so well of other people and it's much better for me if I don't have to do the teaching of my own child so I did have another one that I picked up if I may say is I, I learned how to use Final Cut Pro which Ooh, I nice. love yeah so I for, as part of my work I host a, a monthly well-being breakfast show using StreamYard and stuff. So I learned, you know, Amy was talking earlier about learning technology and stuff and I was a complete mm-hmm. novice so I taught myself iMovie and then I graduated to Final Cut Pro and I just wow. love editing short videos. That's impressive. That is. It really is. One of my personal favorites. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Cats. <laughs> it depends. For I mean, you're not wrong. So <laughs> practicality, cats. Cats always look after themselves. This is very helpful if you're busy. Dogs, because they always love you. Cats, it's a bit on their own it's terms. True. So it depends what it's you need. It's true. My cat loves it me. It is so true. First thing in the morning, every morning, all the cats coming over. Just so, loving, just yeah. loving because they want food. So what's one embarrassing performance mishap that you can share with us? My dress fell off. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Wow. At St. John John Smith Square, I was doing a performance of Carmina Burana, of all things. And I don't know if you know the work very well, but the very last thing that the soprano soloist sings is basically an orgasm that like culminates in a scale going up to a high D. And the zip on the back of my dress had broken just as I went onto stage. I'd spent the entire concert holding my zip up my back. And as I stood up to do this, it just gave way and the dress kind of fell down and I just I had my music in front of me and I just clasped it to my chest as if it was just like (laughs) and I just kind of had to sing the whole phrase like that and just kind of style it out oh 
my gosh, that's so funny. I have a similar one to that in so much as it involves a dress and it was very embarrassing. So I used to go every year to summer schools at Eton College, which is a famous boys college in the UK at mm. Windsor. So I was wearing this lovely long well it wasn't a long dress but it was one of those very fluid flouncy dresses with a lot of material and I I was at the top of the stairs and I had to walk down to the piano because I was actually accompanying a solo singer so I walked all the way down I can see where this is going I know I could hear people going the whole the whole way down and I walked across the stage and then I sat down on the piano stool and the piano stool was cold and I realized that my dress was tucked into my knickers Oh no. I thought you were going to say you slipped down the stairs and your dress went up. So I pulled at my dress and sure enough, the dress sort of went and, you know, came came out over the stool and everybody cheered and clapped and whooped. Um, They were all rooting for you, I'm sure. They were all absolutely empathising with you, I'm sure. I I, I hope so. But I felt like I had to stand up and take a bow because I just, you know, you have to to do something. Like you either die and flush and and then run out or you have to put your big girl pants on and crack on. Were you wearing your big girl pants? (laughs) Probably. Yeah, it was very embarrassing. But yeah, that did happen. That was real and very embarrassing. I can't beat that. I think, can we just leave it there with those two? I can think of a scary time when I was conducting a piece with big choir and orchestra and the, on the on the conductor score, the system of music had been going along with lots of people for a really long time. And so it was very fast. So one hand was conducting with the bat on the other hand, turning the pages really quickly to keep up. And then the texture thinned out and there were two staves on one page and the next page. And I just read straight across and turned the page. And then I realised that I'd missed the choir entry. And for once, the, the the wretched choir was all looking and waiting for the cue instead of just singing without it so the orchestra carried on and the choir oh, didn't come no. in so I had to bring them in and then for a, we were about four bars adrift from each other for quite a long section with me having to go bar 93 pause when we got to the pause and got to the pause and only one person on the snare drum just went and he stopped really quickly and I could feel like time stopping a one cold drip just going all the way down my back as if time was standing still where I was going how am I ever 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 going to get out of this without a disaster so I can remember it crystal clear you're going to make me do what you're going to make me say aren't you now I, I think my most embarrassing one I wasn't at all embarrassed at the time I was performing some scenes from Carmen with a, a really lovely kind of small chamber group of musicians and I went on and I performed fantastically and I came off and it was only probably about five minutes after I'd left the stage that I realised that I'd just not sung an entire section of an aria. And they had covered it. I hadn't even realised that I'd missed it. I hadn't realised. They hadn't stopped. Who knows? Maybe people just thought we edited it, but it was not at all planned on my half. It was just brain fail. So yeah, I wasn't embarrassed at the time, but then when I had to go for drinks with the instrumentalist afterwards, I was pretty embarrassed. They were probably chivalrous enough to not mention it, though. Oh, no. No, it was mentioned. It was mentioned. mentioned. Okay. (laughs) What is your biggest pet peeve? People driving in the wrong lane of the motorway. Just move to the left. It's a it's a big deal for me. Yeah. I feel you. I could list more. Go on, go on. You fill in for us, Ray. I'll just have a drink. People walking too slowly. People not giving me yes. personal space in the pandemic. When we oh, have yeah. signs to take you around the supermarket at the moment, people ignoring them. People wearing their mask below their nose. Oh, <laughs> 
Amen. You are speaking to me. Not that I do that, but I 100% feel the same way about all of that. People who talk really loudly on their phones in trains and who have the person on their phone on speakerphone so the whole oh, carriage can hear both sides of the conversation that nobody wants to hear. That's one. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. I don't like it when people speak. It's, maybe it's a local thing, but I don't know. When people don't do the TH sounds and they use the F F instead. It really bothers me. I remember Charles' mom saying, "Oh, he's been working on uh, he's been working on his music theory in the holidays." And the mom said, "Oh, he's been very thorough with his theory." And you go, "No, no, he's not. He's been thorough with his theory." You're, you're an adult. You can do a th. Put your tongue through your teeth and then blow. The children at school they go one, two, three. No, it's not free. You can say that. That's not a difficult one because it's not a trouble with the speech. It's just lazy. That's one of mine. Mm-hmm. We spend a long time talking about how to how to sing and speak those words really well in music, and they all do it they can all do it really nicely that's good <laughs> nice and final question what is your all-time favorite dish ice cream lashings of it we're I going do. to have mine tonight any second now as soon as i can start chopping for it but that was not a hint and and it is an aubergine burger with like a miso sauce it's absolutely delicious i cannot wait a homemade would be my homemade risotto going out favorite dish would be just really really fresh mussels and oysters and gorgeous seafood you i'm too lazy to do that at home but i make a good risotto <laughs> i think about cake a lot like too <laughs> <laughs> luckily we have a we have one of the ladies in Cora sound is a professional cake maker i'm assuming oh. that's the only reason she's in the group voice is amazing ignore this <laughs> no she's an amazing choral singer as well but she also makes a mean cake doesn't she i love it awesome thank you all so much for that wonderful round of rapid fire questions that was just brilliant we always like to end the show by leaving our audience with some advice that they can walk away with so we pose that same thought and question to our guests here today if you could offer some advice to our listeners what would you say it's about just finding your authentic sound whether you sing chorally or as a solo find the thing that really speaks to your soul which I think is even more important than finding what you naturally sing best I think we're talking about finding true happiness through singing your soul if you love music and you love to sing music then write music as well you don't have to write it with any aim you could write it for your group you could write it just for yourself you could write it for somebody else but for me that combination of writing as a creative outlet and singing I think they go hand in hand if you've been singing for years but you've not tried your hand at writing something yet I think that is a really richly kind of bountiful thing to do it's important to share how much you love singing with the next generation because you you probably have to do it lots of times till they listen and understand and, and believe it too. But I think we have to work quite hard of that hard about it. Otherwise, you could find that something else that doesn't take as much work and that is a bit more instant success could occupy them more easily. I think we just have to be a little bit aware about sharing the heritage with the next generation. And I think from my point of view, I'm the director of training for ABCD. So that's the Association of British Choral Directors. So I do a lot oh, wow. of conductor training. And I find my Myself saying more and more as I get older <laughs> that when you are standing in front of people that's exactly why you're there it's about the people in the room and it's about serving them it's serving the community and creating that community cohesion sharing your soul and your sound with 
those people and getting them to do the same in reverse to you. So it's about shared empathy. And if you always have that at the centre of your music making, if it's always about serving people, that's the right way forward for me. Yes, it's about the music and it's about your passion in sharing the music, but it's so much deeper than that. You know, it's about an empathy with the sound and an empathy with people and just bringing communities together. Social cohesion and people are at the heart of choral singing. And we just need to get back to that as soon as we possibly can. I agree. All great advice. Thank you all so much for that excellent and wonderful advice. Uh, we, we all needed to hear that. If our listeners wanted to learn more about Core Sound, or learn more about the projects that you all have going on, upcoming events, where could they go? Our website, www.corasound.co.uk, or they could email me, amybebs at yahoo.co.uk. So amybebs, B-E-B-B-S at yahoo.co.uk. Our Twitter feed is at Corasound. <laughs> and as far as we understand, assuming everything goes well, you'll have an upcoming concert in December. Is that still correct? It's Everything is on hold at the moment. We were meant to be performing okay. with Emma Johnson on the 4th. That may be happening on the 12th of December in a different venue, hopefully in Romsey Abbey. But it's all on hold because in the current lockdown, we can't rehearse. Mm. So it's all TBC, but there's hope for the future and hope for 2021. Good luck. And nonetheless, please feel free to go out, visit Chorus Sound on their website and learn more about them and everything that they have to share. Alicia, if our listeners wanted to learn more about about you work they go you can find me on instagram at my instagram handle is e.squared1989 how about you brian as always feel free to find me on twitter at the brian alex brian with an i and please go give talkapella a follow we have a twitter account you can find us at talkapella two p's two l's as well as on our website talkapella.org and on that note that's going to wrap up today's show we want to thank liz Catherine, ray and amy so much for joining us on this very wonderful episode of talkapella you all have been fantastic guests we've enjoy speaking with you and learning so much from you and we wish you all the best with everything you have coming up thank you so much it's been amazing and as always please go give Acaville Radio a follow they are the reason we're able to stream our show and then have this wonderful platform to speak with such incredible guests each week and that's going to wrap up today's show for everything else stay tuned